Hey everyone, my name is Frank, and this is the 20th episode of the podcast, which is kind of crazy to me, 20 episodes. And today uh, is going to be part two of the Service of the Artist series. Last time I talked about the difference between self-expression and art making and trying to sort of tease out the differences between the two and then try to find some nuance in the value of self-expression versus the value of art. Since self-expression, I feel like, um, doesn't get as much uh, respect as it deserves. Um, But today I want to talk about integration and the effect of reading another person's work, specifically, um, not just reading, but just looking at another person's uh, work in general, especially something that they consider finished. Though it doesn't necessarily have to be, and this is kind of why it builds off on last week's, but, um, but we'll get into that. But just to tap into the here and now before I get started, um... I'm trying to be very uh, off the cuff today. I'm trying to, again, be very cognizant of not using my crutches. And I also think I took double of my Wellbutrin today, so my thoughts feel very intense and my brain feels very on, though I can't remember. So if I sound manic and insane, that's why, or any more manic and insane than I usually do. So, here goes nothing. So, just to provide a little bit of a definition of integration, because I feel like I feel like there's a lot of different ways of talking about it, and you hear about it in the spiritual community or in the psychological community, and um, it is kind of like a very general uh, idea in a way, because the word kind of sounds like what it is. Um, let me actually just look up a quick definition. Well, that's obvious. It says the action or process of integrating. Okay, but within psychology, in psychoanalysis, the process by which a well-balanced psyche becomes whole as the developing ego organizes the id and the state that results or that treatment seeks to create or restore by countering the fragmenting effect of defense mechanisms. So within psychoanalysis, uh, there's a few ideas here, right? We have the ego, which is the part of ourselves that is aware of ourselves. It's the part of our psyche that is aware of thoughts, not the thoughts themselves, but kind of like the TV screen that plays the pictures. And obviously part of the work of either psychoanalysis or therapy or spirituality or whatever is to not identify with our thoughts and feelings so much and become more aware of uh, ourselves as the observer of those thoughts and feelings. And the ego um, can sort of obviously convince us that all there is are the thoughts and feelings or the images on the screen. 
um, I guess, sort of like the images in uh, Plato's cave, right? We All we see are the shadows, so all we believe in are the shadows, something like that. But, you know, our work is to disidentify with those and become more of the neutral observer, which the ego technically has the potential to be. And the id in that uh, definition, the id is the sort of unconscious, wild, desiring part of ourselves that is un regulated and unruly and doesn't really respond to rules um, or structure and just sort of wants endlessly. Uh, So the process by which a well-balanced psyche becomes whole. So integration leads to a well-balanced psyche that is whole because the developing ego has organized the id, has organized its impulsive, reckless, and sort of boundless desire. And so we do that by restoring the, uh, restoring the ego or restoring the self into wholeness by countering the fragmenting effects of defense mechanisms. And so defense mechanisms within the world of psychoanalysis, I'm sure all of you know, but just to provide some foundation, are the ways that we protect our psyches and protect ourselves from overwhelming information. So denial, right, is one of them, a defense mechanism. We might deny a truth about ourselves or our world um, and block it out as a way of keeping our psyche safe. Though the practice of that denial every single day has a fragmenting effect where we have to deny a version of reality and then we're investing all this energy into sort of creating this narrative that then leaves us fragmented. Um, because we aren't uh, admitting the entire truth um, as we could be aware of it. And obviously denial doesn't necessarily mean that you know you're even doing it, right? That's kind of, I feel like, part of the defense mechanism is it's unconscious, right? You don't even know that you're doing it. Or repression, um, sort of uh, pushing away a traumatic or scary memory uh, that you don't even know you're repressing, but then has a some kind of manifested effect within the psyche, whether it's, you know, nightmares or anxiety or depression. Um, so those defense mechanisms have a fragmenting effect, and we can feel like we're out of control of ourselves, and we don't really feel like ourselves, we don't really know who we are, and the process of integration is becoming whole again and letting go of those defense mechanisms and restoring the ego to a whole and well-balanced state. So that's integration, right? And that is sort of the work, I would say, generally speaking, of all of all individuals, right? Like we all want to become more integrated, uh, whether no matter what realm you're working in, whether it's therapy, spirituality, religion, um, or art, actually, you know, like if you if you are a very secular person and you don't really kind of subscribe to those kinds of things, then I think that art as a spiritual practice, whether you are secular or not, I think would have the effect of integration. Because technically you are um, working with different elements of your psyche and synthesizing them in different uh, works of art. Uh, So it might not lead to complete integration, but I feel like it has an integrative result. Um, And obviously there are very sort of 
uh, not, I don't want to say chaotic, but you know, there, there are some artists who, who the nature of their work is not cohesion and fragmentary, uh, works and, um, disruption and things like that. And, you know, it's not necessarily that a cohesive narrative leads to integration, though some people do say that, I feel like I have heard that. Um, and that in a uh, nonlinear narrative does not lead to integration. I, I don't really know if things are that simple and that black and white and cut and dry. Uh, I feel like the more, my best guess, my best intuitive guess is that the more conscious decisions you're making in the art, the more integration there is. Like, uh, like if you are creating a really disjointed, fragmentary, dreamlike narrative, and it's all over the place, but the way it's organized is very well-intentioned and very um, conscious, then I would imagine that that would have a very integrating effect because... Uh, there is a sense of conscious um, order, whether it looks like disorder or not. The artist knows that there's uh, a sense of order that they've created. Whereas if you're sort of just, I don't know, being a little bit more random about it, I don't know, who's to say that that doesn't have uh, an integrating effect, but I would just imagine that that would be a little bit more um, representative or a little bit more the result of that exact moment than a larger cohesive effort. Just gonna pause for a second. Okay, I think that was one of the garbage trucks. Um, I think today is well, today's Thursday. I don't know, but anyways, more conscious intentionality. I do think my best intuitive guess leads to more integration. At least that's been my experience. Because whether it looks ordered or not, there's a sense of creating order. And I think that is what leads to an integrative effect within the psyche retroactively. So what you do on the page has a retroactive effect on the psyche. Because you're sort of investing into that object. And then that has a sort of uh, reflective effect on yourself. Sort of almost like a little alchemical lab. Like how you work on the page has um, is just sort of like a metaphor or a manifested version of what's going on within, right? So, and that's sort of just like the work of psychoanalysis, right? It's sort of like talk therapy. I'm just talking things through, digging, finding these memories, trying to reconnect to them and remember them and then reintegrate them into your psyche as it is now. And then they hold less power with, at an unconscious level because now they're made conscious. And now you can place that memory within the larger narrative or understanding of your life as your psyche and ego creates it. And thinking about this subject, uh, because my feeling is that when I read a writer or when I see an artist who like whether I know it or not, has a very uh, integrated self, I think it has a retroactive effect on the reader 
who then might feel inspired to do similar work or might see what being well integrated kind of looks like, if that makes sense. Um, there's a sense that at least I've gotten this when I've read certain writers where I'm like, oh, wow, that person is so deeply connected to themselves. And wow, that had such an emotional resonance. And wow, like what they're saying, like holds so much power. Like they must be super reflective, super self-aware, super in touch with themselves at a deep level, enough so that they can describe themselves and describe their lives and paint a really dynamic, layered, cohesive narrative um like they must have really done that kind of work on themselves and at a younger age I wouldn't have known to put it in those words I would have just been drawn to them um for whatever reason but I think when I kind of try to look under the hood of the experience of being a reader um in my favorite moments as a reader I feel like that's usually the effect that lures me in. I do think about style and technique. I do think about craft and all of those things are beautiful. But I think at the deepest core of my experience as a reader and what draws me to writers is how well integrated they are. And by that, I mean how much they can hold in their self-awareness of themselves how nuanced and dynamic their self-perception is and self-concept is, and then their concept of the world uh, as a result. Because it's inspiring for me, at least. I'm like, oh, whoa, like, you know, I want that for myself. I want my ver- I want a version of that for myself. And as a young writer, you know, and this is something I kind of talked about last week, but, you know, in terms of, not being able to express yourself if you haven't really had a chance to express yourself self-expression can be very healing and I think the reason I was drawn to writing so much as an adolescent was because I really wanted what the writers that I was reading had I wanted that original voice or that authentic voice or that connection to self and that uh, self-concept and description of the world that just seems so powerful and self-aware and grounded and manifested you know I think my all of those things my self-concept my voice were so unmanifested and so so deep in potential that I was just desperate to make it real and it took a lot of mistakes and imitation and unconscious defense mechanisms and like everything but my work the more work I've done on myself in either therapy or spirituality or whatever, uh, or even just reading art and or, you know, enjoying art, uh, the stronger of a writer I've become. And I don't mean strong in terms of being a good writer. I'm not really thinking in terms of being a good writer or a bad writer. I just mean strong writer in terms of being able to hold as much as possible in my self-awareness. And the more that I write and the more work I do on myself, the more that increases. And I think that's what makes uh, the sort of inter-exchange between writer and reader so powerful. Um, is one, because of course you get to relate, like we talked about last week, and empathize, and you get to see through someone else's perspective. But when a writer makes me jealous, not stylistically or not, you know, uh, maybe, I mean, sometimes a writer can make me really creative, 
creatively jealous from like, oh, I'd wish I'd used that word or that's so cool the way they did that. But if a writer or an artist makes me jealous in terms of how they uh, construct the world and construct themselves in it, in their, in their work, that is kind of what really gets my uh, creative gears going. And just to provide some, um, like one example of this, uh, my, one of my favorite authors ever is uh, Virginia Woolf. And for some reason, when I was an adolescent, when I was like 16 or 17, I just got really into her work. I think because she was so deep and so dark, I, I don't know, I guess I like related, but also wanted to relate. It just seemed moody and I, you know, kind of wanted to, I was kind of tapping into my adolescent angst as many do. But in her, she has a biography called uh, A Sketch of the Past. And in it, she talks about her experience writing about her childhood and kind of delving into her past and then exploring her feelings about it then and then reintegrating it into her current self as she constructs reality through writing. And by writing about these past experiences that were very negative to her, she sort of realized that she was able to not only remove their power or strip them of their power over her psyche, but transform them into something meaningful. And this seems maybe kind of obvious to us today, you know, the idea of like writing the negative, um, which transforms it and elevates it and creates, we create meaning out of it. But I think back then, I don't know, maybe because Virginia Woolf is writing at the same time that psychoanalysis is becoming more and more of a thing. So, you know, I, I would imagine that this kind of conversation was a little bit more in the zeitgeist as a new blossoming emerging thing rather than something a little bit more rote and obvious the way it is now. But I wanted to read a chapter, or not a chapter, a page from a book called Writing as a Way of Healing, How Telling Our Stories Transforms Our Lives by Louise DeSalvo. Um, this is a really great book on um, the process of writing as healing. And um, the, she writes from a lot of cool uh, different angles about how to do it. But she writes, in writing a sketch of the past, Wolf wanted to read wanted to recreate in detail the effects of her childhood and to explore her feelings about these events. She had given herself precisely the tasks that James uh, W. Penn Baker gave his student subjects. She gave herself permission to remember, to feel, to articulate her recollections. She wanted to explore what she felt now and what she remembered feeling then. She wanted to link these feelings to events by taking herself back in time to specific, quote, moments of being. Through describing them, she would discover the key to her development. She wanted to discover the source of her difficult adult feelings and character traits, her hopelessness, despair, shame, depression, but also her creativity, resilience, strength, intellectual curiosity, integrity, and courage. What she discovered was that through writing, she transformed the effects of harmful events into something meaningful. Writing was Wolf's way of constructing reality and of redefining herself. She found the underlying patterns of life that hide behind appearances. Again, doing kind of self-psychoanalysis uh, or deep work on herself and her psyche. This changed her view of the world from one of a chaotic place to one that was orderly, 
though in need of change. Quote, it is only by putting it into words that I make it whole. This wholeness means that it has lost its power to hurt me. It gives me, perhaps, because by doing so I take away the pain. A great delight to put the severed parts together. From this I reach what I might call a philosophy, that we, I mean all human beings, are connected with this, that the whole world is a work of art, and that we are parts of the work of art. And I really love this, this quote from her because that she says that it's only by putting it into words that I make it whole is sort of kind of the key, I think, here, because it doesn't have to just be words. It's obviously color or art or film or whatever medium you're working in. But it is only by sort of transforming the feeling or the effect of the experience into something else through a medium, whether it's pictures or words or anything, that uh, it becomes whole because now it's being included into some larger narrative. And then the psyche feels like it can't really hurt me anymore because I've gained some power over it. And it's been integrated into my present awareness, so much so that it doesn't really have, uh, doesn't really manifest as strange symptoms like hopelessness or despair. And it's obviously not that you can write everything away. It's not that you write a narrative about yourself and then all of a sudden it goes away. But this process of writing a narrative to heal and to integrate is part of psychology and uh, trauma-focused CBT or cognitive behavioral therapy. Part of the work is to write a trauma-focused trauma narrative. And so you write what it was like then, how you remember it, what it's like. There's a whole process to it. But there is even scientific basis or research evidence-based, you know, work to support the feeling that uh, Virginia Woolf had then, um, based on her own work and her own experience writing things into wholeness. And I think that, as I was saying before, when you read someone who is as integrated and who has done that much work on themselves, I find that to be the most inspiring. I think that style and technique and craft are all great, but if they're prioritized above creativity and, well, I wouldn't even say creativity, if they're prioritized above self-work and self-exploration and self-integration, then I think the work will be really beautiful. I think it could be really gorgeous to read and just aesthetically pleasing, which is a pleasure all of its own. There's nothing to knock there. But I mean, in terms of sort of like awakening that deep level of um, inspiration within the self and sort of bringing the soul back to consciousness and taking us out of our sort of mundane day-to-day experiences and kind of reinvigorating ourselves with that uh, level of consciousness when the soul is awake, then that is kind of, I think, the potential that an art piece can have um, when that work has been done within the artist and then can inspire the reader to do the same. And I think that is part of the service of the artist. Like, obviously we can be like uh, activists in our artists, right? Which is a service in a way. Um, And I think that's a little bit more obvious, which is why I didn't want to talk about it because that's so 
literally a service, right? You're like literally putting a message into the art so that that message gets transmitted to multiple people through this medium. Um, so I didn't really want to do that for the service of the writer, but um, it is really important, I think, to take that into consideration because in the same book, Luis de Salvo talks about um, F. Scott Fitzgerald, the writer of The Great Gatsby. And I didn't know this before reading the book, but obviously The Great Gatsby is like hugely famous, still one of the most like read books in what is it called, like a literature class or something. And I had no idea. But um, he apparently read a really, led a really inauthentic life and really felt like a failure at the end of his life. So this is going on a little longer than I thought, but I'm just going to read some of this. But Fitzgerald realized he'd lived an inauthentic life, a non-reflective, reactive life. He had done, quote, very little thinking, he knew, except for matters of craft. Rather than looking within to determine what he needed to satisfy himself, Fitzgerald had assumed other people's values. Rather than determining for himself how he might most fulfillingly interact with people to suit his needs, he allowed someone else to dictate the fabric of his relationships, how to do and what to say. This, he admitted, quote, always confused me and wanted me, wa- uh, made me want to go out and get drunk. Nor had he cultivated a genuine writer's voice. He didn't have the patience to permit artistic solutions to emerge organically as he worked trusting that he could solve the aesthetic challenges he faced. He had avoided responsibility for making decisions. Instead, he let someone else, whom he doesn't name, be his, quote, artistic conscience and decide for him. For years, he had been self-absorbed. Consequently, he knew nothing about what was going on in the world. His political conscience, quote, scarcely existed so he found himself completely disconnected from the most important issues of his time. Fitzgerald believed that he had lost his identity and soul, quote, there was not an I anymore, not a basis on which I could organize my self-respect. He hadn't taken the time or trouble to reflect upon what his authentic self desired. Instead, he modeled his behavior on external, inappropriate, and destructive models. Nor did he grapple long enough with the challenges his work presented. Instead, he took shortcuts, making another person responsible for making decisions about his work. Though he became an enormous popular success, he thought it was meaningless because he had been untrue to himself. He had, quote, no self left, his constant striving for the external trappings of success rather than for genuine self-defined standards greatly contributed to his unhappiness. And it's crazy because he's like, still held up as, you know, one of the more popular writers of the modern era, right, of of that time, given the success that The Great Gatsby still has. But it's really interesting to know that he wrote it um, in such a way to make it a success. He wanted to sort of aspire to the aesthetic um, crafts uh, that was in style at the time to make it a success, and it worked but it didn't really have any of the substance behind it, and so it ended up really disappointing him. And I think that is kind of the pitfall of prioritizing style and technique over self-integration. Because yes, it can be really beautiful, and yes, it can be successful. And if you measure 
the success of a work by how positively responded to it is, then he would he is very successful because that work, whether it was integrated, um, whether it had an integrative effect on him or not, it still had um, such a positive reception and historically too, like it has held up. So in some ways, yes, he is a success if you're measuring success by how um, popular a work is and for how long. But if you're measuring success by um, how well integrated it makes the writer and then how well integrated it um, promotes the reader to be, then maybe it's not as much of a success. And it's interesting, too, because Gatsby, I think, is supposed to be this kind of not liar, right? But he's kind of no one knows much about him, how he made his money. And he's kind of this, you know, hoax of a person. From what I remember, if I remember correctly, and I didn't read it, I only saw the Leo DiCaprio movie like three times. But because um, there was that summer it came out, and I remember me and my friend Kristen were like really just thought it was really funny and good, and went to the movies to see it because it was so visually appealing. But again, it was visually aesthetically pleasing. The story I don't really remember much about. Um, and there is something glamorous and beautiful to that, and enjoyable about that. But if we're talking about that deep level of self-analysis and integration that uh, Virginia Woolf was talking about, then I don't think it holds up. And obviously, not everything has to be that. Not everything needs to be deeply self-aware and integrative and wholeness and psychology and spirituality. Not everything needs to be that deep or at the risk of sounding self-serious. But in terms of the service that an artist can do... um, I would think that that's one of the higher services that an artist can do for another person is to inspire them to do the same work and kind of inspire them with the feeling that uh, they can have it too if they've experienced any hopelessness. But anyways, it's been 30 minutes, which is long enough, more than long enough for me. Um, I hope it wasn't too long for you. Um, And by that, I mean just like Again, like I said last time, my baseline assumption is that no one wants to hear me talk for more than 25 minutes, but I'm trying to push through that, so um, instead of rushing through it, but anyways, I hope you enjoyed this, and have a good day. Thank you.